Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. We give you all the viral stories that are just about to drop. Just please, oh please, oh please, oh please don't let this flop. If you keep scrolling, scrolling, scrolling and you're never gonna stop, then please, oh please, oh please, oh please don't let this flop. From stupid songs and dances, all the cultural advances, we will cover them from bottom to the top. Just please, oh please, oh please, oh please, I promise you'll appease our please, oh please, you please don't let this flop. Hi, I'm EJ Dixon. And I'm Brittany Spanos. Welcome to Don't Let This Flop. A podcast about internet culture brought to you by Rolling Stone. So we were going to discuss the insanity and bops of the U.S.'s Eurovision dupe American Song Contest, but we absolutely needed to pivot for something that is somehow even more insane. Mm. We are referring, of course, to the real-time adaptation of the 2015 NBC limited dramatic series, The Slap, a.k.a. The Slap Heard Around the World, a.k.a. Will Smith slapped Chris Rock at the Oscars, and suddenly the Oscars became relevant again. I'm not sure how much we need to explain context for this, because I feel like everyone now knows everything about what happened with it, because it's the only thing to talk about from the Oscars last night. But basically, here's what happened. Chris was presenting, Chris Rock was presenting the Best Documentary Feature Award when he made a joke about Jada Pinkett Smith, Will's wife, having a shaved head, making reference to the 1997 movie G.I. Jane. Jada, I love you. G.I. Jane 2, can't wait to see it. All right? I'm out here. Uh oh. Richard. <laughs> oh, wow. Wow. So it was a dumb joke for a few reasons. One, it was unrelated to the category. There's no reason for Jada to be brought into this. She's also not a nominee. Like, she's just like hanging out in the audience supporting her husband. But it's also because G.I. Jane is the, a- the age of the average millennial TikTok user. And also, I don't know, Jada has been very, very vocal about her struggles with alopecia, which is the reason why she shaved her head. And Jada wasn't happy with it. She's very vis- She very visibly rolled her eyes, but she was not as unhappy as Will, who proceeded to storm on the stage and hit Chris. Will Smith just smacked his shit. <laughs> wife's name out your mouth. Wow, dude. Yeah. It was a G.I. Jane joke. Keep my wife's name out your mouth. I'm going to, okay? And so they, when the actual telecast aired, they cut away from it. So this was not shown to American audiences, the full thing that happened. They saw Will get on stage, and then it completely cut away. This, The actual video from it came from, um, I think, Australian TV aired the slap in full. So you were able to see both Will walking on stage slapping Chris, walking off, and then yelling from the audience about not talking about his wife. Which is just, I mean, the wildest possible thing that could happen. So to his credit, Chris kept going, and Questlove won for Best Documentary Feature for Summer of Soul, which is very good. If you've not seen it, highly recommend. But everyone watching was like, what the fuck is going on? Is this scripted? What is this? Many people thought this was fake. Many people thought that this was like a a little like Oscars moment. But... Chris Rock is clearly very, very surprised. And again, they cut away from this almost immediately during the live telecast. 
So this was a big deal because Will was nominated that night, and he was the frontrunner for King Richard, where he plays Venus and Serena Williams' dad. And people were wondering whether the Academy would kick him out. His award had not yet been announced. And if he would even get to accept his Oscar in the first place, again, because he was the very clear frontrunner for the entire award season. And he did. He remained in the in the audience. He remained at the show. Um, there was like a photos of him being pulled aside by Denzel Washington and Tyler Perry and all this other stuff. But he remained at the show and he gave an emotional speech where he rambled on a lot, just completely kept going, talked about his mom's knitting club. It was very weird. And he apologized to the Academy for his behavior, though he did not apologize to Chris Rock during the acceptance speech, as many pointed out. Richard Williams um, was a fierce defender of his family. I want to apologize to the Academy. I want to apologize to my, all my fellow nominees. Thank you for this moment. And thank you on behalf of Richard and, and Orsine, the entire Williams family. Um, thank you. Uh, uh, Hoping Academy invites me back. Thank you. So this was objectively a highly dramatic moment. And I think when it happened, which again, EJ and I did not see live, Everyone knew that the news cycle would go nuts, but I don't think people anticipated the sheer number of absolutely nuclear hot takes that arose from this. And what was frankly some pretty clearly racially tinged rhetoric, people were calling Will Smith a criminal. Judd Apatow had a whole thread where he said Will could have killed Chris, which is absolutely not true. And a lot of people started invoking their own experiences with domestic violence onto the situation. Well, Brittany, you say it's you say it's not true, but what if Chris Rock had been Betty White? who is dead yeah. and had made the joke. And if he had hit her, she would have fallen and had a brain bleed and died. Yeah. So many of the tweets about it were just like these like weird what if situations that just weren't the reality of the situation. People were somehow, and which is why what makes it so racially coded and like just strange is that so many of the situations are meant to sort of make it seem like Will Smith as like, again, one of the most beloved actors of all time and especially one of the most beloved black figures in pop culture to like somehow be even more of a monster and a villain and like some sort of like beast in the situation of like what if he had killed the what if he had slapped and killed dead white Betty White like or like slapped and killed like Amy Schumer because she was one of the hosts like no one said like what if he slapped Wanda Sykes everyone's like what if he slapped Amy Schumer for making that joke like it was just like weird weird shit that people were projecting on it like real weirdo behavior from everyone Projecting the situation. And I don't want to like, I don't want to make light of what he did because I think what he did was objectively fucked up. Like to interrupt a telecast and to, to, to go on stage and to hit somebody is not good. It's, it's objectively, it's not good behavior, but the way people were framing this and treating this is as if it were on par with Putin, Putin's aggression in the Ukraine which yeah. is, is a comparison that I have seen many people make over the past 12 hours. And yeah. we're only 12 hours in. And the takes, the takes keep, the, they just keep coming along. Like, does Hollywood condone violence? Yeah. Why hasn't Will Smith been held accountable for this violent act? Like, why didn't the Academy revoke his Oscar? Which, if you know anything about Oscar history and the people who have won Academy Awards, like, the Academy has tolerated a whole lot worse than what Will Smith There's did. There's a, like, probably almost every single Oscar in history for best picture 
can be revoked by like just for the people like involved with it. Like it's just, I mean, Harvey Weinstein's Oscars have not been revoked and he's been, he is fully in jail for Yeah, I think he's only of, one, technically only won one Oscar, but yeah, I mean, his, yeah. his films combined have won like dozens and dozens and right. yeah. And those haven't, there's no, nothing against that. Woody Allen has what, seven Oscars? Those have not been taken away from him. Roman Polanski won. Wasn't he already on the run by that point? He, was in, like, he was in Europe when he won. Yeah, he was. Harrison Ford he was accepted like, on his behalf. Yeah. And I mean, it's just like insane what has been. I mean, and also that's not even to account the number of, of actors who have committed domestic violence and who have been just like on record beating their their wives or like their partners or anything in any situation like there's so many people who have not had their awards revoked at all in a situation the tweet that i made that i'm getting screamed at for right now is fucking mel gibson was nominated for like six oscars in 2016 long after he had pled no contest to you know spousal abuse long after his rant against her week yeah yeah long after that leak long after the anti-semitic rant against the police leaked. He was still nominated. He, the the movie won a couple Oscars. He did not win. Like, but didn't he, has he won in the past though? Like, didn't he win for Passion of the Christ or no? He didn't win for Passion of the Christ. I, I believe he won for Braveheart, which was long before. I think at that point there had been like whispers in Hollywood, but I don't know if it was like on the, so I don't know if we can necessarily fault the Academy for that win. You can definitely fault the Academy for inviting him. You can definitely fault the Academy for nominating him for Hacksaw Ridge. Like he's one of the worst people in the world, let alone in Hollywood. So, so to say, to say that like Will Smith slapping Chris Rock is like the worst thing that's happened in Oscars history, which I think one celebrity actually did say, right? Brittany? Um, Mia, Mia Farrow, again, mm-hmm. like, should know by now that this is not the ugliest moment in Oscars history, given her previous relationship with Woody Allen and the really, I mean, just like everything that's happened with her children and Woody Allen called this the ugliest moment in Oscars history. And again, no one has taken away Woody Allen's many, 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 many Oscars. On the other side of the spectrum, a lot of people, I've seen a lot of people applaud Will Smith for standing up for his wife or for people with disabilities because because she has alopecia. Like Tiffany Haddish and Liam Payne both made very positive statements about in support of Will Smith to that effect. And I don't think that's the right take either. Like I I think there's these are just all extremely galaxy-brained takes. I have never quite seen the internet react so stupidly to something. Yeah. And I, I think what's most interesting that is eh. I think what's most interesting though is not really what this singular act means because I don't know. I don't know if it means that much, but Chris and Will have a history together. They have been friends. They have known each other for a very long time. Back in 2016, Jada and many other celebrities boycotted the Oscars during the Oscars to white discourse. And a previous joke had been made at Jada's expense by Chris at that Oscars, which he was hosting at the time and said, Jada boycotting the Oscars is like me boycotting Rihanna's panties. I wasn't invited. (laughs) That's a pretty good joke to me. That that one at least is a good joke. That one at least (laughs) made sense. You know, like this one, like, I mean, the thing with this is like the joke itself, just like what it wasn't a good joke. Like it just was unnecessary. Like there was no reason for that. It was a terrible joke. It was very, it was, but I mean, there is a question now if this will affect Will Smith's career. Will has had a really interesting trajectory as an entertainer. He went from sitcom star to novelty rapper to the type of movie star who can guarantee a box office smash no matter what he was in over the course of a decade. Like, 
I mean, if you attach Will Smith's name to most movies, especially in the late 90s, early 2000s, like it was guaranteed to be a blockbuster hit. Rom-coms, action movies, sci-fi, like it was it was going to be successful. And he made his first real move for Oscar's legitimacy, which of course many actors still strive for and want to be if they're especially making that type of jump from TV sitcom to rapper to like blockbuster icon like you know of course they want to also have their their acting respected by their peers and to win something of this caliber so his first nomination was for Ali in 2002 and then he was again nominated in 2007 for Pursuit of Happiness and of course the academy has a history of under nominating performances from black actors he is only the fifth black man to win best actor in the show's entire history and he was the front runner this entire season after several years of Flop films like the horrid live-action Aladdin and that Netflix disaster Bright, this was supposed to be Will's big night. He hasn't had the best run of movies. Like, I still do moderately well. He's not flopping in the way that, like, some people flop. But, you know, it hasn't been the greatest run of Will Smith performances or he's the biggest on tiktok right now like he's He's way bigger on tiktok he's the sixth most followed celebrity on tiktok currently i mean at the end of the day will smith is still will smith like there's still a popularity there and again like these movies didn't i think like even bright was you know one of the most watched netflix movies of that year but it was completely critically panned these are just movies that just were not doing well critically this was really supposed to be will's big night people he was like one of the clearest front runners for any of the acting categories all season like uh, all the other categories are pretty contentious about who would win but will smith was pretty set to win king richard rank win for king richard so it was pretty surprising to have this kind of moment and this like huge misstep for it to happen just moments before he did actually win for this performance and did kind of you know and i mean king richard i mean this movie i don't know how many people actually saw king richard i did not see king richard i feel like everyone i know who's seen it has been on an airplane but like this was a, a film that was being very, I mean, we have Venus and Serena Williams, like two of the most iconic athletes in history. You have Beyonce opening the performance, opening the entire ceremony with a big performance for her film from King Richard. Like, it's just like, it was a, a very big night for that particular film. And for this to have happened completely overshadowed. What was, I mean, it's still like it, the fact that it still has to be historic when black actors are being awarded in the big four categories as it is like it's kind of wild that this all happened in one night yeah but it's his own fault that his win is getting overshadowed it's completely he did he did not have to storm the stage and slap him in the face he didn't have to do it i think like it's just like to look at that in the context of it it makes it even like it just like feels sort of like insane and also upsetting to kind of see all that happen at once like it's just kind of like a really sort of surreal and i don't know it's just like kind of a it's escalated into something that I don't think matches what actually happened. Like the entire context around like, I don't know, like people were just like invoking like the LAPD. Like it was just like a weird situation all around and everyone's reactions have been super fucked up and like weird. Just like, so it's so strange how overblown so much of it has become right now. But I don't know. To be honest, it would be silly to see him lose respect from Hollywood for what was clearly a very personal altercation that should not have played out in the public. And there are worse private disasters. We have let many stars, especially white men in Hollywood, move past in their careers. Plus, it seems like the two have since made up, at least according to Diddy, who also once allegedly slapped Drake over a song. So more than anything, we're begging for everyone to calm down and log off. 
Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. This episode is brought to you by Snapple. Welcome to the Snapple Market Auditory Experience. Close your eyes. Imagine you're walking into your neighborhood store. You make your way to the back and reach for your favorite Snapple flavor. You can't wait. You take a sip. Whoa, that's a lot of flavor. Mmm. What flavor are you holding? Now open your eyes and check out Snapple.com to find ridiculously flavorful Snapple near you. Let's do straight people. Straight people. <laughs> well, Love is Blind is one of my favorite TV shows. EJ, did you, have you watched it at all ever for either of the seasons? I watched one episode the first season, like very early in the pandemic, and I couldn't tolerate it. And my, and my threshold for stupid is like very, very high. So it says something that I was just like, no, this is not going to work. <laughs> so you're going to have to walk me through this season because I've heard that this season is like next level. Yeah, so I the first season was was fine, but then the second season it's like everything is just insane and so wild and toxic and it's clear that they have cast just like deeply wild people for it. So I this new season has been really great and I've been eating, sleeping, breathing the series since it premiered in February. And I found this new absolutely unhinged cast to be miles better and more interesting than the first season, hmm. mostly because Every relationship was mildly toxic. Every single one. Um, Take Ayana and Jarrett, for example, one of two couples who decided to go through with the wedding. So obviously, as it goes with Love is Blind, you meet in the pods with different people. You talk with them. You don't see them until you've decided to get engaged to them. And then once you're engaged to them, you finally meet them. So there was Shane, who everyone has probably seen clips of on Twitter and Instagram. Who was talking to you? I don't know. Take a guess. No, the, oh, Shayna, there we go. What? Oh, that's what I was hoping for. What are you wearing over there? Hello? Hello? Shayna, stop. It's Natalie. Of course. He was the coked up frat boy of the season. Was And he was getting close with both the very sweet Natalie and the deeply alarming, alarming Shayna, who is a devout Christian, and she described her style as, quote-unquote, Utah vibes. Mm, Mormon. Though she's really giving off... What? Mormon. That's code for Mormon. Mormon. Yeah. Well, no, she's like... She's not Mormon, but her vibes are... Her, like... Her outfits, she describes as, like, Utah aesthetic, where it's, like, like a lot of dumb hats. <laughs> I can't even, like, visualize that. What the fuck is she talking about? <laughs> so, she's not Mormon, but she's just, like, very evangelical Christian and very Trumpy, like... If you go to her following, um, at least, like, I don't know if it's changed since then. I don't think it has because it wasn't every time I checked. But, like, she's following, like, all the Trump women and, like, Ben Shapiro and Candace Owens. Like, that's her entire following. Anyway, Shayna was also getting close with someone else, the mild-mannered construction worker, Kyle. And they were having differences in the pods already because Kyle considered himself an atheist, I believe. And Shayna, obviously, being devout evangelical type of Christian couldn't get past that. I want to know why you're an atheist. <laughs> I just 
believe science. God is science. She was like, this is not, she was like, you're not a godly person. So Shane and Natalie ended up actually becoming one of my favorite couples over the course of the time in the real world. Like they were very cute together. They're kind of a little bit of an opposite to track situation, but they seem to deeply care about each other on screen. But apparently there was a really volatile off-screen fight that happened the night before the wedding day that made Natalie decide to not go through with the marriage. So they ultimately parted ways. I don't understand why. And this is why, like, this, this is what gets in the way of me watching The Bachelor too. is like, why is the end game a proposal after you've known somebody for like three, four weeks because it makes good television, EJ. I know, but like I was, I dated, <laughs> I dated my husband for six years before we got engaged. And even then, like when we got engaged, we were like, oh, I don't know if we want to do this. Like we were so unsure about it. Like how could these people be in a pod? This is such an old fashioned yeah. view, but like it, it yeah, kind of I mean, undermines the sanctity of marriage a little bit for me. All culture, all culture is puritanical. Like it's all kind of based on that. And again, it's like build as an experiment, right? It's like this idea that, is love blind? Can you fall in love with someone before you know what they look like? Can you fall in love with someone and like that and like just based off the conversation and then that leads to a happy marriage? The most insane pairing fallout though came between Shake and Deep Deep, mm. two Indian singles who had only dated white people in the past. So Shake came off very shallow in the pods right off the bat. He was asking the women if they think he could pick them up at festivals, which was a shady way to make sure that the women were not fat. Yeah. And Deep D was one that called him out on it. She was just like, she also, there's multiple, a big part of the season when they advertised it was the idea that they had actual fat people on the show. Like they were like, we have like plus size women on the show did now. They? And like they did, but like you didn't see any of them. Like <laughs> you literally saw them all like once. And two of the women who made it through to like, post-engagement kind of you see more of them are like women's whose stories involve them losing a lot of weight and like like deep tea is one of them and like it's just like her whole thing she was like uh, she's like i used to be fat and then i lost like 70 pounds and it's like okay but um it's a lot of stuff like that in the show where it's a little like okay cool it's still just like a bunch of like like skinny people. <laughs> yeah, I hate I hate when that someone's like narrative arc. Like, cool, you had like normal hormonal fluctuations oh my God. in your life. Like, great, that's very exciting for that's you. That's why I don't even get started on Danielle because that was her. Like, she was just awful. Anyway, so Deep T called him out on it, and they ended up connecting and having a lot of like really deep conversations about their dating history, the fact that they had never found themselves partner with another Indian person before, the fact that they felt sort of this comfort with really understanding each other in the way that their white partners had not in their previous relationships. Shake seemed to start, like, it seemed like he was starting to evolve and grow a little bit talking to Deep T. It seemed like he was rectifying a lot of, like, the shittiness of how he had been acting in the pods before. Um, you know, there seemed to be some growth there. Like, it was, like, kind of shocking to see that develop briefly. But outside of the pods... Shake started to realize that he wasn't attracted to Deeps, as she, she goes by Deeps and Deep D. And he told everyone but her. He was with her. He'd call her his best friend. And then he would talk to the guys or to other people and just and his mom and be like, she reminds me of my aunt. I'm not attracted to her. I don't want to have sex with her, but she's my best friend. What do I do? But he was not telling this to Deep D. His mom even called him out, as did some of the guys on the show, and eventually, Deeps rejected him, setting off the redouchification of Shake. He threw a party after she said, I don't, at the wedding venue with, like, everyone was, like, 
you know, popping bottles of champagne, acting like he was like waiting for this to happen. Um, he wouldn't shut the fuck up at the reunion and is now feuding with every single person in the cast, including the host, Nick and Vanessa Lachey. She's not purely blind to me. Great. But then that's why I said, I think all I said was you were on the wrong dating show. That's all I but, said. But I want it to be partially blind. I want it to be love is blurry. Love is blurry. Well, why okay? don't you start love is blurry? Somebody and- get Netflix on the show. Well, Spinoff. Yeah. Yeah. But it seems like even between the time that they filmed and the reunion, Shake, for example, seemed to have completely disconnected from the cast. A lot of them were just like, we had to stop talking to him. We had to block him from our phones. Like, we just like could not deal with him. People just did not seem to fuck with him anymore. And of course, because they have to hide everything that happened on the show, their following counts and like what they, how they were interacting with each other was changing over the course of the series unfolding. So after their union, you saw exactly who unfollowed who. A lot of the partners who decided to not get married just kind of unfollowed each other. And like, it's clear that there was like a lot of drama that they were more than willing to dish about in their Instagram stories, in their posts. And also on podcasts, Nick Vile from The Bachelor apparently has a podcast that everyone loves to go on. So a lot of dishing is happening there. And that's just kind of like where a lot of the great dramas happen. So the two couples that made down the aisle appear to be happy and have resolved all their glaring issues that TV cameras caught. They're all still together. Some of the unmarried persons seem to have found love with each other, including Deep D and Kyle, who was with the very Christian Shayna. Um... And Deep T and Kyle had apparently had some sort of relationship in the pods that we didn't see on camera, and they might be dating. So, Shake is now dating a skinny blonde woman, as he had probably hoped he would get, and is continuing to burn every bridge. He is the one that is has not moved on the most from all of the drama happening on Love is Blind. So, in the wake of the show ending, all the people have been trying to keep up the popularity across all platforms as well. Some of them have TikToks, and the content is truly horrific. It's melodramatic, barely lip syncing, overly referential to the show, and a lot of them being silent and doing nothing while music is playing. It's just like really embarrassing. It's like the case that millennials should not be on TikTok. Like that, the, those types of millennials should not be on also TikTok. like D list stars. Like if you don't have the budget to hire a social media manager, then maybe don't be on multiple social media platforms. Don't do it. It's bad. It's really bad. I got to say, though, as a longtime reality show fan, the fact that so much of the drama bleeds over to Instagram and Twitter these days is probably my favorite part. So I hope we get a second reunion sooner rather than later. They did that with the first season of Love is Blind. I think it was kind of delayed because of COVID because the show premiered in the early portion of 2020 COVID quarantine. And then they did this sort of like catch up second reunion many months later with the couples. Um, Or I guess it was like more than a year after the show had aired. So I'm hoping that they do another one and kind of keep up with them because so much has gone down since then. And they all seem to kind of hate each other in different ways and also are like possibly dating each other. And it's a lot messier than the first season. Um, I really don't care for updates on the married life though, because those couples now bore me, but I'm in dire need of more goss from those who left and got left at the altar because that's where all the good stuff is. Yeah. You've convinced me that I need to watch the show. It was a good. It was a good season. It was a good season of television. I I don't know how I'm gonna convince my husband. I'm I'm gonna have to like watch it furtively in the bathroom or something. <laughs> but between the just just keep it between on. this and American Song Contest, it's gonna be a tough sell the next couple of weeks. But <laughs> but I'll ma- I'll make it work. <laughs> so in other news that has completely um, piqued my my 
obsessiveness. Um, I guess if you live under a rock, perhaps, and this podcast is maybe your only connection to the rest of the world, first off, you're welcome. And second, there's a brand new Harry Styles album. I'm really happy to tell you. So since One Direction went on hiatus, Harry has found himself to be the biggest star from his former group. His branding as this mysterious, androgynous, sexually fluid, 70s-esque rock god who hangs out with members of Fleetwood Mac and the Eagles set him apart, set him apart from a lot of male pop stars who are either attempting to be Usher or John Mayer. So since his sophomore effort, Fine Line, was released in December 2019, his hotly anticipated 2020 tour went the way of most 2020 tours and was postponed until 2021. Fans had kind of expected that a third album was on the horizon, especially since he was announced as a Coachella headliner back in January. But on top of that, Harry was doing something a bit different than he usually does, giving in to the TikTok fervor and Gen Z stand desire to decode clues because... There's nothing that younger members of Stan Twitter love to do more than decode shit, investigate, find things, put together Easter eggs. It's a little alarming. So it kind of started days after a paparazzi photo of Harry went viral for what seemed to be him having TikTok open on his phone. So they kind of like did this like super zoom on a kind of blurry pic and it looked like it was the opening of an Insta- of a TikTok account on his phone. And then this account called Sue Manella popped up. So if you're a longtime fan, you know that Sue is a nickname Harry stylist Harry Lambert gave the singer years ago. I had no idea. <laughs> I would have had not, yeah, no idea. It's, a, it's an inside joke that no one really knows the details of, but have adopted for themselves anyway. But you'll see very often that like both Harrys will call each other Sue constantly. So this TikTok still, there's no image on it. It's not verified. There's no, you know, this could be maybe just like someone on the team. So the account's most recent TikTok was of a Spotify plaque for Watermelon Sugar, one of Harry's singles, confirming that if it's not Harry himself, it's at least someone from his team setting up a TikTok-leaning rollout. So more clues were being unpacked on TikTok and Twitter earlier this month. There was like mysterious newspaper ads for flowers internationally, and they started popping up with no attribution. There was also a You Are Home Instagram account that a lot of Harry fans were getting on their follow following suggestions and there was no sort of information on this account for a long time. It was just recently verified and is now kind of the home base for a lot of the teasers of the album, which are these like open doors and like weird kind of cottage core art behind the doors. Um, but a lot of people have been, one of the things that I found most wild about the newspaper stuff is that people were looking into how much it costs for newspaper ads on particular pages and like the size of the newspaper ad and then put it together that it must be from a major label. Like it was like really deep. It was, it was stuff I never wanted to learn, which is how much a newspaper ad costs. I didn't care to, but now a lot of Harry Styles. And how much is a newspaper ad And I'm happy for them. It's quite expensive. So that's what they point out is like, it was quite expensive for it, especially the size and the placement in the newspaper. But what about Billboard Um, Dad? The Billboard, the the dad in Billboard Dad places a newspaper ad. Um, I mean, we have to assume that all of the... um, Mary Kay and Ashley Olsen. That's the Mary Kay and Ashley movie, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, all their fa- their families in those movies are rich. That's true. I would have thought they were like yeah. middle class, but I think <laughs> <laughs> I, I I think I think it that was just uh, that that was my privilege speaking. <laughs> yeah, I think I think they all. I feel like I just have to go into that assumption. Anyway, so this type of mystery building and teasing has become so important to pop rollouts, especially through TikTok. Traditional album rollouts have long been dead now, and it's fascinating how after 
several years of surprise drops kind of post Beyonce being the style du jour for major pop stars, we've now moved on to extending the album teasing for as long as possible, turning it into a game of Clue for the stands who are happy to put together the rather opaque pieces. Like all of these things are sort of just like random shit you really have to be paying attention to. And I think it was also egged on by like the Harry Styles stan accounts that may have had been like tipped off or anything to kind of be like, did you notice this newspaper ad that you probably did not pick up and would not never have read in your life? But it reminds me of QAnon, honestly, like, like Stan (laughs) TikTok reminds me a lot of QAnon, like especially Taylor Swift stands like Swifties. Yeah. It's like the same sort of like, here are the breadcrumbs that we're like decoding and like the elaborate numerology. It's pretty, it's pretty insane, honestly. Yeah. Like Taylor's a good example where it's like, they're, are like we, there's ostensibly nothing that she's doing right now other than doing her re-records but like people were like she's wearing orange socks it must be for this album that she's like going to be releasing it's not even out yet so the album is called harry's house and it's coming out in may um and now that it's like out in the open of course the next step is figuring out what to expect i'm very excited for it but like one user mused that harry was part of was possibly part of a Joni Mitchell-led writing camp that they are putting together may have existed um, that featured Joni Mitchell's good friend, Brandy Carlisle, along with Maggie Rogers and Lucius. So Maggie Rogers and Lucius are both also releasing albums this year. Um, there's a lot of photos with all those artists at Joni's home, along with a bunch of other random people. Um, Maggie had done a podcast interview pretty recently where she talked about being in a songwriting camp, which was really unusual for her. Mentioned that it was with one of her mentors. Brandy Carlisle is, um, you know, one of her mentors. Lucius's new album is produced by Brandy Carlisle and features Brandy Carlisle on the first single. And Harry's album's name actually comes from a Joni song called Harry's House. Um, so it's, that is a, that's a theory. That's like a more sort of like <laughs> invest. That's a very journalistic insane. sort of. <laughs> No, that's all like just facts. <laughs> I know, I know, but it's just like it's just so convoluted. It's like it's it's just insane. It's actually like this is like probably the most like like most kind of like centered theory because it's actually based off of real things people have said and real photographs that yeah, show them yeah, all okay. together. One thing's for sure though, um, you need to unfollow me across all platforms because I'm about to be absolutely feral waiting for this album for the next couple of months. I am so sorry for my content. Um, I might bring it up at random on the podcast because this is what I now have to live for. I will report. I will not hesitate to report you for spreading misinformation about Harry Styles. <laughs> this is not. I. I'm just. I am relaying some things that ended up being factual about him. Okay. Well, we we we, sh- we shall see how it turns out. But sp- speaking yeah. of misinformation. We talk about misinformation and conspiracy theories so much on this podcast that honestly, we could have a segment every week about it. I just came across one that Leah Michelle can't read. Brittany informed me that's old news. Old, old news. news. And made me feel <laughs> really, really out of touch. Um, some of us were gleeks and some of us so weren't. I, I, I was not a gleek. But this week, yeah. the misinfo campaign uh, is a lot less funny than Le- than the one that, Le- that Leah Michelle can't read. It's... Um, related to a summer program based in Kentucky called Sexy Sex Ed. And basically, Sexy Sex Ed is a series of sex ed workshops based in the Appalachian region. Um, 
where the primary curriculum is abstinence. Um, it was founded by a queer body positive activist named Tanya Turner, and it's primarily aimed at LGBTQ teens in that region who are getting inaccurate or honestly, you know, more likely zero information about sex mm-hmm. in their own bodies. So they teach about like the menstrual cycle, safe sex, masturbation, things that are like relative relevant to teenagers. And they recently announced that they'd be doing a summer program called Sexy Summer Camp. And on March 8th, this guy, Christopher Rufo, tweets, these women are running a sexy summer camp for children in rural Kentucky with lessons on sex liberation, gender exploration, BDSM, being a sex worker, self-managed abortions, and sexual activity while using licit and illicit drugs. This is all in quotes, by the way. And then he attaches like a Google Doc, which is an agenda for the summer program, which includes trans sex ed. Um, there's a seminar on over-policing sexuality and blackness. But the one that he really zeroes in on is a um, self-pleasure workshop, this is also in quotes, that offers discussion, games, and hands-on practice, parentheses, on hands. Um, And everybody flips the fuck out about it because what it seems like is that he's suggesting that these queer um, body-positive activists are teaching kids of all ages how to masturbate. So everyone started freaking the fuck out and sending her death threats. Um, Now, there, there are a few things to note here. For starters, um, Sexy Summer Camp marketed itself as an all-ages camp. But as its founders noted on the website, it's actually just a series of Zoom workshops that are marketed at teenagers 16 and up. Like, this is not a situation where somebody has a vagina puppet, like, teaching very small children how to masturbate. It just isn't. Also... Christopher Rufo, the guy I, I quote, who I quoted his tweet earlier, he's not some random journalist. He's a writer for the conservative think tank, the Manhattan Institute. And his big thing lately, like this is everybody's big thing um, on the right, is he's been fighting against critical race theory. Mm-hmm. That's, that, that's like what everybody loves to do. So he almost certainly had an agenda here. But what I've been seeing, especially over the past day or so, is that people are posting about the summer program, accusing Turner and the other instructors of using it to groom kids. And it's gone very mainstream. Like this came up on my For You page this morning. This is from an influencer with 110,000 followers and it has 220,000 views. Hi there. Hey, hello. Just popping in to inform you of these four absolute lunatics who want to start a sexy summer camp. During my childhood, we called this something. I believe it was... Oh yeah, abuse and a crime, but now it's progress. So now we're in a situation where hundreds of thousands of people think that a group of activists who are trying to teach LGBTQ kids not to fucking hate themselves and their bodies are actually running a child sex camp. And as I just explained, that's not the case, but this is what people, this is what people think. Um, Now, If this were just an isolated incident, that would be one thing. Like, we could just debunk this and move on. And Jezebel actually did that. And it's a very good piece that we'll link to in the show notes. I think this is all part of a wider trend where, um, you know, the discourse around child sexual abuse and child, you know, exploitation and sex trafficking. Have you been, did you follow, like, the Save the Children movement in 2020, like, at the start of the pandemic? I didn't follow it closely, but I saw a, a lot of stuff. It was one of those things where it was just kind of everywhere, but I didn't follow it super closely. Yeah. So basically there was this hashtag movement called Save the Children that really took root on Instagram in the summer of 2020. And it became extremely mainstream very fast. There were all these protests in LA that were very widely attended, but it really started out. It really took root among conspiracy theorists. 
um, like people who believe in QAnon, for instance. And this was who was really the driving force behind the Save the Children movement, even though there were like celebrities who were promoting it at the end of the day. And that's kind of what I think is going on here and what we're going to see over the next week is this story is going to get a lot bigger beyond conservative media circles. And people are going to be regurgitating this discourse that the sex ed program is actually a child sex trafficking ring. And it really sucks because these are really important issues that we absolutely should be discussing. Um, And, you know, child sex trafficking, lack of access to sex education. Like these are these are really important things that we should be discussing. And the discussion is getting clouded to the point where people's lives are getting destroyed and kids are like marginalized kids are going to lose access to really important information um, that they could other like I would have loved this program. Like would I enroll my five year old in this program? No. But as we've established, it's not targeted towards him anyway. Right. Um, but when I was 16, 17, like, I feel like I could have really benefited from this program. Like I had terrible sex ed in high school. Oh, I had awful sex education. Yeah, you I went to a Catholic, Catholic school. school, right? Catholic yeah. school in the Midwest. Yeah. I mean, our, the extent of our sex education was largely abstinence driven. I remember distinctly having a health class that I attended in like fifth grade. I think that was the only time that it was like a dedicated sort of like health class that was about sex education. Um, But it wasn't, it was abstinence. There was like some understanding of terminology. I think we were also like all like the way that it was like very kind of clinically driven towards us, but it also sort of glossed over a lot of issues. It was like sort of just like abortion is bad. Like I had to like go to like anti-abortion rallies. I think I've told you about the time I, I passed out from heat stroke at uh, an anti-abortion rally. It was fucking crazy. (laughs) Like, you know, it's like we had to go to that type of stuff. So it was very much like abortion is bad. um, Don't have sex. We had like little like sex uh, debit cards or something or like credit cards. I don't know what it was, but it was like a card. They couldn't cash it until you're married. Um, Smart. Yeah, I mean, all the evidence suggests that abstinence-only education doesn't work. Like, all the evidence. There's no evidence that suggests it works. We actually had pretty good sex ed, I think, but we still had, like, a syphilis epidemic at the end of high school. I mean, mean, it's going to happen, but it's like, I think, you know, at least you know what it is. Like, at least you can explain, like, what's happening. And I think for a lot of people, they just couldn't, they didn't know what a lot of it was. And so we would look online, like, we'd search things online. Um, That was the only way we'd talk about it. And I think, like, honestly, like, the best sort of, like, sex talks I ever had were we had this, like, religious retreat we had to go on. (laughs) So stupid. Going to Catholic school is so busted. There was, like, this, like, religious retreat that basically you went on senior year. um, And it happened, like, several times a year. It was, like, small groups of the senior year kids would go on these retreats. It was, like, divided by gender. So it was, like, you and, like, a group of, like, 20 other girls from your class. And... They try to, like, mix you up where you were kind of with a bunch of people you didn't hang out with normally. And the rest of the retreat was just, like, about, like, faith and, like, you know, I don't know, self-esteem and stuff like that. But we'd have all these talks. We were, like, spending the night in this, like, weird cabin somewhere. Um, and we would just, like, all, like, talk about stuff that like, or no one would answer for us. Like, everyone was just kind of, like, asking each other questions that, like, like the nuns at our school wouldn't answer, like that like no one else like in school like thought to like talk to us about. And so I think that was kind of like the most comforting thing was like talking to other kids, but it's like, I shouldn't have to learn about things from 
my, I don't know, from other 17-year-olds. Like, what the fuck? Like, I should have to learn things from Tumblr. No one knows less (laughs) about how to fuck than a (laughs) 17-year-old. I know. I was like... It's like it's like people were just like, you know, there was just like questions people had. Like, why do men love hand jobs? Like people were just trying, trying to get an answer to it. Like they we don't. Like, they don't that? is the answer. <laughs> well, we thought well, they thought they did. And we thought they did, too, because we didn't know anything else. And so <laughs> I remember just like trying to get to the point. You're like, why do they like it so much? <laughs> they don't. This is what they this, don't. <laughs> this is the problem with absence only sex education is that you <laughs> think that men enjoy hand jobs when they can just, you know, do it much better themselves. But this makes me very happy that I didn't go to Catholic school because I was very... Yeah, busted. So busted. I fantasized about it when I was in high school, but mostly for horny reasons. I wanted to flounce around in the little skirt. It was honestly way less horny than, you know. Yeah, it sounds like shit, honestly. Yeah. But let's do do himbo. I'm actually stunned that we've never elected this person himbo of the week before. <laughs> it's good timing. It's good timing. It's great timing. We're very relevant. I have not to toot our own horn, but we are very <laughs> relevant on this podcast. In many respects, I mean, not to get emotional, but he exemplifies like all that a himbo is. He's well-dressed. He's charming. He says really sexually provocative things to older women. He's really, he said a bunch of incredibly stupid things. I don't, yeah. know, I don't know if you're aware of this. Well, yeah, he's, I mean, well, I mean, I don't want to spoil who it is, but yeah, like, we'll get into it. But he has a mustache is another good reason why he's a great himbo. We love a mustache. He's got, he's got a, a mustache. A really beautiful mustache. I am speaking, of course, of the himbo supremo, um, Broderick Harvey Sr., a.k.a. Steve Harvey, the host of Family Feud. Ugh, king. There's a lot to be said about the appeal of Family Feud in general, the vulgar innuendos, the frankly insane and unhinged gender and racial dynamics that are on display every episode, the wild faces Steve makes after someone says a stupid or potentially like provocative answer. But so much of the appeal lies in Steve himself and his amusement over this chaotic world that he's built. And he's been experiencing something of a renaissance as of late. Um, There was, I remember there was a time where there was like a string of attempted cancellations of Steve Harvey um, over his aforementioned atrocious politics. Yeah. Okay. So Steve Harvey, if you grew up in, what? maybe it wasn't just Chicago. Have I lied to myself this entire time? I don't know. It felt Chicago specific, but he had like, a radio show um and he was really big on sort of amplifying a lot of like gendered norms yeah like, that was like thing. really like you know like think like a man yeah. is him like he wrote you know he wrote that book like his entire idea is like teaching women how to get men and get what they want from men and like it's really less so about what men have to do. Like, he's just like, men are fine. And it's like, women, you have to step up and do these things to keep your man and make him happy. Like, that's like his advice. And so he had like an advice show on, I think it was like WGCI in Chicago. And I remember listening to it a lot because my friend's mom listened to it. And we would listen to it in the car on the way to this like, co- this nerdy college summer camp. <laughs> and I would just be in the back, just like, what the hell are we listening to? And it would be like Steve Harvey giving absolutely atrocious advice. And for someone lacking sex education, I even knew that it was atrocious. It's also ironic because he's been married three times. 
Right. Which, and so that's his entire brand. Like he had like a talk show, all this other stuff was that he was like a self-professed relationship expert when in fact his relationship advice was some of the worst relationship advice you could possibly get. He also, did you hear what he said about um, the water crisis in Flint? <laughs> oh no. It, it was so fucking funny. <laughs> it's ridiculous. He said <laughs> it was in the context of like jibing somebody, like it was a sports context. Like he was giving someone a hard time for like their Detroit sports team performing badly or something. And then he was like, go drink a glass of brown water. <laughs> and he had oh. to he had to apologize for it. <laughs> Damn. But regardless of these faux pas, of which there are many, um, he's having something of a renaissance. He did this amazing, like fucking visionary shoot for GQ where they talked to a stylist. He wore a full magenta suit. Um, yeah. but, but it's also because he keeps going viral. Name something you like your girlfriend to do to your face. I want to say sit on it. Yes! <laughs> sit on it! Everybody feels better now. I feel like he's like really, he is living up. And I feel like it wasn't always like this when he's been, he's been hosting Family Feud for a minute. And like, it wasn't always like this, but he's really living up finally to like the, his, you know, the original Family Feud host, Richard Dawson. Because the original Family Feud, I used to watch on the Game Show Network in reruns as a kid because I, I was lame, um, was really horny. Like, it was just like Richard Dawson just making out with It everyone. was drunk and horny, yeah. Yeah, it was. it's a good show. And it was just like him just drunk with his little, his little mic and just mouth kissing. Just so much mouth kissing. Steve doesn't do that. Steve respects physical boundaries, but he definitely doesn't respect but like still, emotional there's, boundaries. There's still like a drunk horniness essence to him yeah you know like it's giving like you know like like weird overly personal like family member you know not it, creepy yeah. in a way it's pretty insane how sexual the show is given <laughs> what it is <laughs> i want to go on family feud oh i'm dying to go on family feud but i don't think they've ever had a jew on there I don't think they've ever had. I saw someone on Reddit post about this. And everybody was like, yeah, I don't, I don't know if they've had a Jewish family on there. So I don't know if they'd accept me because I, I think they're anti-Semitic a little bit. Should we go on together? Should we go on with the podcast? We'll we should we should go on. We should like source a Rolling Stone family. Oh, my God. This would be the funnest conversation. Like, if, uh, like who would be good on Family Feud at, on staff? Well, obviously us. Yeah. And I'm only... Only going to give horny answers and try to get Steve Harvey to mouth kiss me. (laughs) (laughs) Steve Harvey actually prompted a piece in Mel magazine um, based on that clip that we just played with the headline. Steve Harvey is making face sitting mainstream, which I don't know about that. But yeah, that's not that's not his. That's not his impact. Yeah. Yeah. But I appreciate that they're respecting his relevance as a himbo icon. So um, here's to you, Steve. Congrats on himbo of the week. It's been a long time coming. Uh, let's close another Family Feud clip and, and we'll see you on the feud. A man might actually like his mother-in-law if she had what? Rod. Big breasts. <laughs> My mother-in-law gonna kill me. Your mother-in-law gonna kill me. <laughs> Your wife. Thanks so much for listening to Don't Let This brought to you by Rolling Stone and Cumulus Podcast Network, written and hosted by me, EJ Dixon, and Brittany Spanos. Executive produced by Jason Fine, Bridget Shelsey, and Elizabeth Garber-Paul, edited by Dan Stein, and original music composed by Daniel Mertzloft. See you next week. 